is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. G'day, Warwick Long here for another week. Great to have your company on the Country Hour. Today on the program, well, changes to the weather service that we provide you on the Country Hour that you get on all ABC radio programs as well as on commercial ones around the country as well. It's in the Australian today. The Bureau of Meteorology is moving away from having meteorologists providing weather crosses to the ABC and commercial radio programs in favour of using less qualified community information officers instead. How do you feel about that? 1300 two. if you'd like to call. You can text as well, 0467842722. The National Farmers Federation don't like the idea. You'll hear from them shortly. We've got requests in with the Bureau as well. There's a small chance we might have them on the program today, uh, or at least some form of comment from them today. But I'd love to know what you... Do you want to hear from a community information officer? This change is already happening in some ABC radio programs. Uh, does it concern you that you won't have the meteorologist to talk to? You can give us a call, as I th- said, 1300 or text 0467 Also today, growing a wide range of crops that you might not have ever heard of. So we have Tasmanian mountain pepper, three different sorts of lily pillies, three different sorts of finger limes, lemon myrtle, and then we have Murnong native parsley, native celery. Two, at the moment, only two different mints. The main one that I started with was Murnong. Anything In that list, familiar to you? We'll hear a lot more about that project coming up in the country hour. Right now, though, let's get some rural news with Jane McNaughton. Jane. Thanks, Warwick. Unions New South Wales has surveyed 1,000 job ads in foreign languages and found that many employees in the horticulture sector were offering below award wages for pickers. It was part of a national survey that looked at 7,000 ads overall. Mark Morney, Secretary of Unions New South Wales, says there has been a big improvement in pay rates since a minimum wage was introduced for pickers, but 40% of employers are still taking advantage of vulnerable workers. There was a slight improvement. About one in two employers now advertising the guaranteed minimum wage for for the start period. But however, what we did find, one in every four workers were then uh, being subject to threats or fired if they weren't meeting packing, uh, picking targets or targets that were being set around peace rates. There was lower rates uh, were coming where people had no visa or their visa had expired. It seems to be a, a, a larger growing group of people with expired visas who are working, uh, particularly in agriculture. Uh, I think they think if they're out of the city, uh, they won't be targeted. Uh, and what we're finding is they're more open to exploitation as a result of uh, their visa not being compliant. What, I mean, what percentage the- of the workforce would that be, do you reckon? We found in our report one in five. A tick-borne disease has been found in dogs on the east coast of Australia. The Queensland Government Biosecurity Science Laboratory has confirmed a dog from Townsville has tested positive to ehrlichiosis, a tick-borne disease caused by the bacteria E. canis, and the agency has informed the chief veterinary officer. The disease is currently active in Western Australia, the Northern Territory, Northern South Australia and Northwest Queensland. Dr Campbell Costello is the head vet and pilot for Outback Vet Services and says dog owners should take note. It's a little bacteria that lives in side ticks. Uh, Australia never had it in May 2020, obviously when COVID uh, dominated the headlines. 
Uh, this little bacteria was detected in dogs in Cunanar and Halls Creek in the Hall, uh, in the Kimberley region. Several weeks later, it was detected in the Kimberley. So it, it, it's it's since then spread all through the NT. Uh, it's a little bacteria that um, I want I want people at home to understand. It's not like the paralysis tick. It's not a new tick. It's a new bacteria. And it lives inside the tick, and the tick bites the dog, regurgitates the bacteria into the dog's bloodstream, and then that bacteria goes and attacks the liver, the kidneys, but most importantly, uh, bone marrow. So, um, you know, it's a big risk. A federal parliament inquiry is set to examine the impacts of severe weather on rural and regional transport infrastructure. Floods and poor road maintenance have seen key regional roads crumbling up and down the east seaboard in a wet La Nina year. Grain Producers Australia Chief Executive Colin Bettles says the group will be making a submission and are keen to hear from farming communities about the key challenges they are facing. Basically, the real lived experience of what's happening on the roads um, the House of Representatives Committee obviously wants to get some feedback about the quality and condition of the roads based on the recent flooding and rain events. But I think what most growers and transporters who use those roads on a regular basis would say is that uh, these recent weather events, uh, although they're unprecedented, have really exacerbated some of the issues that are already out there. And these issues um, have a, a, a significant impact on not only safety for the people using the roads, but also the productivity of the growers. So we need an efficient supply chain to get grain from farm out to customers as, as efficiently as possible, and roads are a critical part of that. And surviving the first year is a great success for any business. So to make it to 173 years is extraordinary, especially in the wine industry. South Australia's Yalumba Wines in the Barossa Valley celebrates the milestone this month, earning the title of Australia's oldest family-owned winery. Chairman of Hillsmith Family Wine Estates at Yalumba, Robert Hillsmith, says it's a big achievement. You know, the fact that we've had one family running our winery for that long is, is an achievement. It's, some would say, a miracle, but one we, uh, we enjoy and we're proud of. And plans for the future for, for you, Lumber? Another 73 years, hopefully, is on the horizon. <laughs> we'll get to 175 first, and then the next milestone is 200 years. So <laughs> a lot's going to happen between now and then. Uh, we just make sure we've got our you know, shoulder to the wheel and uh, be alert about what's going on in the world, whether it's governments changing you know, laws around wine or alcohol and international impacts. But, you know, the thing is never to get ahead of yourself. You have a long-term plan, but you don't, you don't bet the bank on an idea. You just take things gradually and work, work through them logically. And uh, hopefully at the end of, you know, any of those processes, you know, you've added value and you've got something to show for it. And that's today's Rural News, Warwick. Thank you very much for that, Jane McNaughton with Rural News. We've got some breaking news for you. The uh, Andrews government has named their cabinet and the ministerial responsibilities uh, have been named as well today. Obviously, you'll hear a lot more about that in the news and major changes and so forth. But in terms of country hour-specific portfolios. Uh, this is what I can tell you. Gail Tierney will retain her role as Agriculture Minister in the new government, as will Harriet Shing will retain the Minister for Water and Minister for Regional Development as well. Uh, we've also got Lily D'Ambrosio is going to be the Minister for Climate Action and Minister for Energy and Resources. While I'm telling you about that is there's going to be a change with agriculture and resources going into the government department that had energy, environment and climate action as well. So it appears that 
restructure uh, is ongoing. But once we get more details on that, we'll put in a request for more details on that. We'll bring you more information as well. But Gail Tierney to stay as Minister for Agriculture, Harriet Shing to uh, remain as Minister for Roads. And I can also tell you uh, that Minister Horn will will take on the roads portfolio, one that I know has been very uh, important to you. Uh, Melissa Horn will become Minister for Roads and Road Safety as well as keep the portfolios of ports and freight, local government as well. So uh, key country out portfolios for you too. Many of you wanting to have your say on changes to Bureau of Meteorology crosses. We'll talk about that next. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Yeah, farmers are concerned that changes at the Bureau of Meteorology will result in a poorer service to them. The Bureau, or BOM, whatever you want to call them, is moving away from having meteorologists provide weather crosses to ABC and commercial radio programs, like this one, in favour of using a less qualified community information officer instead. We've got a request in to the Bureau. They said they haven't been able to get someone to be able to speak to you today, but hoping to provide some information. I don't know if that's going to be an interview or if that will be a statement or what. I'll push for an interview on your behalf, but we'll provide that to you when when we can. You're about to hear from the National Farmers Federation, though. Uh, Jeff says this is another stupid bureaucratic decision. Uh, Brian in Malmesbury says, was so many bomb changes, I think they're in the middle of a management crisis. Uh, Harry says, hi, was I really do not like this. The best people tell us about the weather. It's so important what happens when you ask questions. Thanks, says Harry. And Stuart Clune says, was there a specifically listen to hear a meteorologist? Your questions and the specific info you dig out from the senior meteorologist adds enormous value to simply having someone read a forecast. This is really bad news for the agriculture community. Uh, online and other radio weather reports just do not cut it for the detail I need, says Stu at Clunes. I'll get to some more of your texts in a moment. The Vice President, though, of the National Farmers Federation is Victorian farmer David Johinke. I spoke to him a short time ago, and like many of you, he doesn't like the idea. First of all, I'm not really sure why the changes are occurring. And as far as farmers go, we want to hear from the meteorologists themselves. We want to hear from the people who are actually getting that raw data and deciphering it and trying to tell us then what it means for us, because we already um, have issues with trying to get long-range forecasts and getting a clear understanding of it, but we want to be able to ask those questions from the people who are at that cutting edge. Do you think something could be lost if the person who has that knowledge base isn't the one that's talking directly to you? Oh, absolutely. The bomb itself has always had meteorologists presenting in, in for my farming career, and it's been one of the highlights of why you do listen out for the um, those reports to come through, but it's also a question of trust. Look, at the end of the day, you want to know that um, we're getting the best service that we can because we are paying for it. It is a, it's a service provided to, to us as a taxpayer, so we just want to make sure that we're getting the best service possible for the critical information and agriculture relies on, is driven by the weather, and so we do rely on as best forecasts as possible, noting that, you know, it is that probability and conditions do change, but we want to get that best information as possible. An argument for someone who would be in favour of these changes would say you can already get all of that information from your phone or online. Why do you need to hear from a meteorologist on the country hour? Well, there's two parts of that. First of all, really hard to ask your phone a question when it's a passive thing, whereas we can actually 
get that more in-depth information and ask that critical question um, of meteorologists. And you do learn that a little bit more through that sense. But probably, once again, it's that trust, that ability to, to really um, follow uh, the meteorologist to, to understand why and how things are occurring. And I guess uh, understanding what the Indian dipole is occurring, why, why is that uh, affecting us in a deeper sense? And being able to get that real, I guess, science perspective, because once again, they're not there to look good. They're there to, to be uh, deep in, the, in their field of knowledge. And that's why we, we tune in. And without that, being in the place, it really throws into the question of why we actually have crosses. And and even now, farmers um, themselves, uh, with with so many different weather options out there, um, they still like to listen to to that weather report and get a that first hand knowledge base instead of just uh, re- uh, reading it or looking it up statically on a website. So you don't care if it's a communication specialist, if it's someone who's trained to to talk better to you, you actually want to have somebody who has the knowledge on why the weather's doing what it's doing. Oh, absolutely. Give me the meteorologist over the communicator because we're not there for them to to tell me a story. Um, They're there to give me some facts for what's going on. And the bomb's always provided these services it's a level of um of service that we pay for uh it, it's through our taxation and we just want to make sure that we're getting the best possible service so not really sure why they're doing it i, I don't see what was wrong with what, what was happening now um and yeah i can't really see how it's enhancing the service either so as a farmer on the ground um i just want the best information from the people who can provide it from me and uh yeah i can't see how this is a step forward that is David Johinke, who's a Victorian farmer. I had to pull him off the header to have a chat to us today. Vice President also of the National Farmers Federation speaking to you with his concerns about the changes at the Bureau of Meteorology to move away from meteorologists uh, presenting weather crosses to you on programs like this one to community information officers. A few more of your texts coming in. Um, Gavin says, was not here at Warwick. Not hearing from a meteorologist would be like not only gagging the horse's mouth, but severely severing it totally and replacing it with a trendy indoor plant, says Gavin. Interesting turn of phrase, Gavin, but I get what you're saying. John from Kilmore says, I'm sure the information officers will speak well, but they won't be able to explain things. It's another retrograde step. John from Kilmore there. Joe from Willaluka says, hi Warwick, keep the meteorologists on the country hour. Uh, and Phil from Wagga says, community information officers replacing meteorologists? No, we need knowledgeable people to inform us about weather. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, says Phil from Wagga. And Kylie says, was what about flood or fire emergencies? Are these people qualified to give a clear assessment? I think I might have to do my own weather assessment online, says Kylie. Well, that's what I'd imagine... Uh, they're relying on for you, Kylie. Um, but if you need to ask someone a question, that might be where it gets difficult. I don't know. You can tell me. Send a text 0467 842 Interested to know your views on this with the Bureau of Meteorology. Moving away from meteorologists on Radio Crosses. On ABC Radio Victoria, you're with Warwick Long for the Victorian Country Hour. And an interesting change to one of the stories we've been following here on the Country Hour with... A lot of talk about the floods and flood water levels, particularly in the southern New South Wales town of Mullamine of late. We spoke to one farmer last week about, well, what I was calling the number of harebrained schemes he was considering to keep farming or protect his property 
during the flood. We were talking about floating barrels of fuel across flooded waterways to keep harvesting, to uh, running a pipeline over floodwaters to make sure fuel could get across to harvesters, to even choppering in key farm equipment. Well, one of those ideas actually came to life. Jeremy Morton can join you now, a farmer from Mullamine. Welcome back to the Country Hour. Yeah, thanks. Good afternoon, Warwick. <laughs> what did you do? What happened? Well, we um, uh, basically, I, I rang the SES last Friday in New South Wales and just said, look, I'm not sure if this is something you would do, but I'm wondering if you would uh, be able to airlift in a um, piece of farm machinery, a bit of a, a grain um, bagger, a silo bag. So if anyone's seen the little silo bags around the countryside, one of the machines that puts the, the grain into the bag. And initially they said, oh, I'm not sure about that. But then they said, look, just we'll log the job and we'll see what happens. And about half an hour later I got a call from someone else from the SES and they asked a couple of questions and they said, I think we've already done one of those. And and then they said, oh, yeah, we can do that. When would you like to do it? Uh, I said, oh, probably early next week. And they said, oh, we could do it this afternoon. Anyway, I said, well, hang on, I've got to go and get the get the bagger first. So, so we went and picked it up on Saturday and yesterday, so Sunday, we um, put it in place where we were going to lift it from and I sent them a text just saying it's ready whenever you are. And they rang me straight away and within an hour and a half they were hooking up to it and lifting it over onto the farm. That's extraordinary. And so literally to be able to continue to harvest your crop whilst you've got floodwaters all around you and effectively cutting you off from, from taking a truckload of grain anywhere off off your property you needed this bit of equipment and the the SES flew it in for you yeah they did look it's um you know massive shout out to the to the SES um yeah I, like I said I wasn't sure whether it'd be something they'd do um but yeah no that's you know just a, a fantastic outcome for for us personally just to get that that bagger in and then we can just you know safely store the grain and then Eventually, when the uh, the flood water recedes and the roads get repaired, we'll be able to to get it back out and deliver it to the end user. Now, grain bagging machines, whilst great pieces of equipment, Jeremy, they're, they're not small. How big was the chopper? Uh, so it was a it was a fair sized chopper. It's a um, a Sikorsky, which is an American built chopper, which they don't actually make anymore. Um, yeah, so it obviously you see a lot of the little SES helicopters get around. They can lift about a ton. So I'm not sure what this could lift, but um, the bagger probably weighs close to two ton. Um, but yeah, it did it did it uh, very easily. And and just for a visual for people, if you if you want to know what sort of a helicopter it is, and this is one we probably see on the news a bit, is it's basically the same helicopter that the president of the United States gets um, flown around in. And there was a bit of a history to this chopper that you discovered whilst it was on your property, yeah? Yeah, no, so the, the crew were um, yeah, uh, US and, and Canadians. So they, yeah, we're just having a chat while we're while the, the guy that does all the hooking it up and making sure it was um, yeah going to not fall off on the way over. We're just chatting about things. And they said that, um, yeah, this chopper was previously owned by Donald Trump, not when he was the president, but before that so yeah it was previously owned by by Donald Trump which was interesting that's that's incredible and it and delivered the uh, the equipment to you how thankful are you now to have that bit of equipment and what does it mean for your farming whilst you're still surrounded by flood water oh it's a it's a lifesaver and they sort of sent me a text as they flew off and 
said, you know, any anything, if you ever need a hand again, I said, oh, thank you very much. That's just an absolute lifesaver. So basically it just means we can we can harvest the crop and, and store it safely. So that's that's the most important thing, particularly with, you know, the weather still being a bit challenging. Um, you know, we haven't had any rain for a couple of weeks, but I'm sure it hasn't disappeared just yet. So, no, extremely grateful. And, I, and look, at the end of the day, I mean, it's – the you know the taxpayers of New South Wales that have basically funded this so you know big shout out to the SES and and thanks to New South Wales for you know having this sort of thing available and uh, just before we we go Jeremy there's been some confirm uh, some concern really in in flood communities like yours in southern New South Wales and also up around Mildura the the prime minister himself actually landed at Mildura airport to change planes to go to Renmark to to visit people affected by flooding but he didn't stop to, to come to areas like yours. Um, is that disappointing? Oh, look, I suppose the Prime Minister's got to go where he's got to go and, and do what he's got to do, and he's probably there by invitation. Um, and, look, the flooding's starting to get serious in South Australia, so he flew into Renmark and, and you know, took the opportunity to have a look at what, what they've done in for preparation and, you know, catch up with a few locals and, and post a few selfies of, you know, down enjoying a coffee on a Saturday morning. I, I actually thought, well, it'd be great if he could have come here, not that we'd invited him, but um, so I've since done, I've sort of done a social media invitation to him saying, you know, I, I reckon he'd get a real lot out of coming to somewhere that's under a lot of pressure at the moment. You know, I, I, it probably wouldn't be possible, but if he, if he could sit in the ute, drive around with me, have to drive through floodwater, get in a tinny, cross over, come around, see see what's actually happening for people on the ground. Um, I think it would be a real eye-opener. Like I actually had a neighbour that came up and did a run with me on the weekend and they're just down at Warcool and he said, oh, I'm not going to be whinging about, you know, the pressure we're under down there. He said, it's just unbelievable what what, what's happening up at Moolamine. I mean, I'm, I'm basically doing 20 k's a day driving through floodwater just to, to check on and uh, um, fuel up pumps. And is it getting better? Is the water starting to recede now? It's it's just starting to recede at, at Moolamine. Um, yeah, so it, it's going to be a fair while till it actually all gets back in the river channel proper. But, um, yeah, it is slowly starting to... To recede, uh, but it's going to be there a month at least, possibly six weeks till it's till the water's gone. Jeremy Morton, well, uh, uh, I know it keeps going on for you, but we do thank you for the update, so you can tell us what's happening in your part of the world. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Warwick. Jeremy Morton, their farmer at Moolamine, has an open invitation to the Prime Minister to come and visit as well. Uh, also talking about having a grain bagging machine helicoptered in by a helicopter that used to be owned by the former President of the United States as well uh, to basically allow him to harvest his crop whilst surrounded by flood waters. You're listening to The Country Hour. Warwick Long with you. Let's quickly go to this story before we head to the news headlines. The peak body for Australia's organic industry is optimistic about demand for its members' produce despite rising cost of living pressures. Research from the group from earlier this year shows that on average organic products are around 30% more expensive than conventional items across the supermarket shelves. However, some lines are actually cheaper. Uh, Nikki Ford, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Organic Limited, is speaking here with Peter Somerville. 
we were talking to some growers over the last sort of few months and some of them have um, you know, not had products available or they've had crops wiped out three times this year, uh, which is challenging. We know some grain growers um, haven't even been able to plant their summer crops. So I think it's an interesting um, challenge for us with these ongoing weather. I mean, I'm based here in Brisbane and uh, we're in December and it's a really cold morning this morning with lots of rain. So we're in unusual times and I think um, people being uh, clever about where they're buying their product and really looking at seasonality because that's going to be one of the other contributing factors to availability is, um, and this is something we've probably got desensitised to over time because we've had so many products or every product available to us nearly all time of the year. I think we need to think about what has nature intended for us at which time of the year and that's probably going to be where your savings are if you're looking to buy, you know, certain exotic um, fruits um, during uh, cold months or non-accessible months and they're going to be more expensive, of course. Of course, as you say, availability has been problematic but is the demand still there? Are people still chasing organic products? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're about to put out some... Uh, we're in the middle of doing research right now which will come out early next year around uh, what the market actually looks like, but certainly anecdotally from what we're hearing uh, across our members and across the industry is that, you know, demand, especially over the last two years with the challenges to export markets, um, products has been consumed in the domestic market and there's been no loss uh, given those, that inability to get outside of the country at affordable prices. Um, so we know that people want more. Um, globally, people have been wanting more, uh, especially because organic provides you a product that doesn't have all the additives that non-organic non products have, and that's from additional chemicals in production all the way through to additives um, in new manufactured or um, livestock products. So people want higher quality products that don't have the additives, and that's what organic, certified organic um, provides you. You mentioned earlier, I think it was uh, organic produce is around 30% more expensive. Um, given the cost of living pressures, is that turning people away lately? So uh, that's a category average. So 32 is across all different categories, not just fruit and veggies. Um, look, I think people will be um, shopping to their needs um, regardless, but we have seen um, evidence in the last research we did that you know, those who are buying organic on a regular basis have actually bought more. Um, in fact, um, the last market report that we provided uh, last year um, demonstrated that 56% of those who were buying organic actually bought more than what they did previously. Uh, and so while people are watching where they're spending their money, um, there is um, certainly uh, evidence to suggest that those who are spending it in that space actually see that as a value option. They mightn't be going out as many nights um, to have dinners out, but they'll be cooking in. And we certainly saw that trend, you know, explode over COVID when no one could go out. People were trading up to a more premium product. Um, and that, that hasn't um, significantly changed uh, in the last year. Um, but obviously, um, you know, people will still continue to... Uh, edit um, their budget pattern over the coming years. But the value that comes with organic isn't just price. Um, the quality and the value that people put on the environmental impact is also a significant player in consumers' decision-making. Is there a lot of room for growth in this sector with organic produce? Are people looking to expand uh, the amount that they grow? 
Yeah, well, I mean, you only have to look at the two major retailers who um, have significantly expanded their organic offering and look, that's where uh, the growth area is. We know, again, through market reports that we've done for over a decade, most people are shopping organic in the major retailers um, and that breadth of range um, really has been a focus for both of those retailers for the last you know, uh, three to five years. Um, you know, each of those retailers are actually trying to get more operators on board because the demand um, is outstripping the supply. That's Nikki Ford, who's Chief Executive of Australian Organic Limited, speaking there to Peter Somerville. Let's go straight to the newsroom and find out what's making regional news headlines with Rio Davis today. Rio. Good afternoon, Warwick. Making news around regional Victoria. Victorians have made more than 13,000 insurance claims after flooding affected the state over the past two months. Newly released data also shows the mid-October storms and floods that swept across Tasmania, Victoria and New South Wales have generated 17,000 claims to date at a cost of $477 million. Victoria's claims account for around 78% of the total number of claims. Achuka paddle steamers have spent their first weekend back on the water after parts of the Murray River opened on Saturday following the recent floods. A large section between Hume and Perricuda Station is now open for all commercial and recreational use with some restrictions in place. Football Victoria says more regional coaches are needed in local competitions with player numbers expected to rise next season. The sporting body says it's anticipating about a 5% increase in player registrations across regional Victoria next year off the back of the Men's World Cup, which saw Australia knocked out in round 16 against Argentina yesterday. Shepparton's Gurang Kowal made an appearance, narrowly missing out in the final minutes, which would have sent the game into overtime. Police are investigating a car crash that killed a 36-year-old man at Bright on Saturday. It's believed a white Ford Ranger spun sideways and flipped onto its roof after the driver lost control travelling north on the Tawonga Gap Road at about 20 past 7 in the evening. The Tawonga South man was the only person in the car and died at the scene. And a Mildura man will face court today charged with stealing a pair of shoes from the city. Police say a Melbourne woman found the alleged thief in her laundry at half past nine in the morning on Saturday. For more regional news at any time, you can visit www.abc.net.au forward slash news. Thank you very much for that. Rio Davis there with regional news headlines. You're listening to The Country Hour. Uh, We have been speaking about the Bureau of Meteorology, which is moving away from experienced meteorologists presenting crosses into programs like this one to less qualified community information officers. We do have a request in with the Bureau. As you've heard already me mention on this program, as soon as we get information from them, we will provide that to you. Many of you having your say, like the National Farmers Federation, which we heard from earlier in the program. Uh, this one says, Warwick, the Weather Bureau don't want to be called BOM, want to be called meteorology, but now having a meteorologist, not now not having a meteorologist as a spokesperson, don't uh, I don't get it. Yeah. Mick at Redcliffe says, G'day, was it just another critical service being withdrawn by some faceless bureaucrat who has little or no idea about living in the bush? We all rely on this important service on the land and it must be maintained, says Mick at Redcliffe. Uh, Nigel at Vespa says, it's just like Qantas with their baggage handlers, bomb uh, need people who are experienced to provide these crosses, says Nigel, who then calls management words that I better not say on the radio as well. Uh, And better be careful, was the ABC might replace you with a robot if the bomb's going down that road. 
I'm, that's not going to make me scared of uh, presenting news or journalism to you, anonymous texter. Don't worry about that. And Steve from Oyen can be the last word on this for the little while. Was it replacing meteorologists is so typical of the big government policies uh, put in place. Who will present government views, not necessarily the facts? It's not good, says Steve from Oyen. You can keep your text coming in 0467 842 722 if you'd like to... Uh, get in contact with us at the country. We will go to the Weather Bureau right now to find out what is on the forecast. Simon Timkey is a meteorologist with the Bureau of Meteorology. I won't get him to speak on behalf of that organisation's management decisions, but I will get him to give you the forecast. G'day, Simon. G'day, Warwick. Uh, let's start with the weather forecast. What is it looking like around Victoria today? Yeah, well, we've had a um, cold front move across central parts overnight and just moving across the far east of, uh, of Victoria now. There's a, a, a line of showers just moving over the northeast district and east Gippsland. There's a couple of, uh, of isolated thunderstorms in there. We have seen a, a couple of, uh, of flashes of, of lightning out of that band and, uh, and the possibility of thunderstorms out over sort of the eastern districts will continue for the rest of today uh, and a chance that we could see some, some gusty winds with, uh, with uh, uh, one or two of those thunderstorms out over the far northeastern part of the state during, uh, during the afternoon. Uh, elsewhere, still uh, some, some isolated showers on and south of the divide in that south to southwesterly airstream uh, following, uh, following that, that cold front. Not, not seeing any, any particularly big rainfall totals out of it, um, but in the, uh, in the 24 hours to 9am, we did have a few spots pick up, uh, up 5 to 10 millimetres or so. Generally, most places that did receive some rainfall saw um, less than 2 millimetres. Since 9 o'clock this morning, a, a bit over central and eastern parts of the state, but again, most places picking up less than, uh, less than 5 millimetres. Um, through the next sort of 24 hours or so, we'll, we'll see that uh, that front continue to move eastwards over um, uh, over the, the Tasman Sea. We'll stay in in that that fairly fresh south to southwesterly airstream, but it will ease during Tuesday as the next high um, pushes in from the west. We'll see the showers continue on and south of the divide. I think they'll be mostly confined to central and eastern parts um, on Tuesday. Uh, and those winds will, will ease as well as that high moves in. On Wednesday, there's a, another little front just pushing across southern parts, so we'll see an increase in shower activity again on Wednesday um, and an increase in the, the winds as well, so keeping those that southwesterly winds fairly fresh. The showers associated with that front, again, will be mostly confined to on and, uh, and south of the divide uh, and a chance that we could see uh, uh, the odd afternoon thunderstorm uh, about eastern ranges on Wednesday as well. So that front will keep conditions cool again, so right through the, the, the working week this week seeing cool conditions, although there will be a bit of sunshine uh, north of the divide, I think, on and off during the week. On Thursday, we'll see um, some cold air push up behind um, Wednesday's front. So, so probably the coldest day this week for a lot of the state on, on Thursday. Um, and uh, um, the showers, again, mostly on and south of the divide and, and more frequent about central and eastern parts again. Uh, on Friday and over the weekend, that high will move to the east. So we'll see 
Not much left in the way of showers on Friday, maybe just the isolated one um, about central and eastern parts, but wouldn't expect anything too significant. Saturday, we'll go into a more of a northerly airstream, so things warming up a bit on Saturday and should be mostly dry, I think, maybe just a slight chance of something about the southwest of the state, but I think generally warmer and, and dry for, for most, uh, most districts on Saturday. And then an, another change moving across on Sunday, we'll see some, some showers and possible thunderstorms extend across from the west, but uh, if you are after a bit of drier weather, Friday and Saturday look like the, the days this week, Warwick. And in terms of some of those rainfall days and the events, that particularly it sounds like a lot of it's centred in the south, but do you have an idea of some rainfall totals across that week that people can be expecting? Yeah, not expecting anything anything too big, um, and and I think the the wettest day is probably um, going to be Wednesday, and that focus will be out over over the eastern parts. So for today, I think we'll generally see the order of one to five millimetres, but over eastern parts um, and anywhere where we see a thunderstorm over those far eastern parts might see a little bit more. So maybe up to five to ten millimetres about eastern districts maybe even 10 to 20 millimetres about the ranges there. Um, For Tuesday, I think generally less than 5 millimetres in the south, but 5 to 10 millimetres possible about parts of East Gippsland. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, generally less than 5 millimetres in the south. But again, on Wednesday, a little bit more likely about parts of Gippsland, maybe 5 to 15 millimetres about some parts there. And then Friday and Saturday, unlikely to see anything of uh, of note. I think maybe the odd spot picking up a, a, a fraction of a millimetre or maybe up to one or two millimetres about the, the southeastern part of the state on Friday, but shouldn't see anything around on Saturday, I don't think, Warwick. And I noted uh, anybody playing cricket yesterday and those out harvesting were all talking about how hot it was. Simon, is there any day like that expected anytime soon? Uh, I, I don't think so, no. We'll, we'll, we've got that little front... Uh, um, Clipping uh, across the south on uh, on Wednesday, which will will maintain that more southerly airstream and uh, and cooler conditions. So we're not really going to see anything uh, warm up until. Um, Saturday, and, and with that next change coming across, I think with a bit of cloud around, I think we'll, we'll sort of struggle to see some temperatures getting up into the, the high 20s in the in the north, uh, but I think we'll, we'll struggle to get much more than, than the mid-20s in the south before that next change comes through. Well, Simon, thanks very much for the update. Thanks, Warwick. Simon Timkey there, a meteorologist with the, uh, with the bomb, taking you through the full forecast there. On the text line, uh, bomb, please keep your weather with meteorologists. It's the only part of the country out that uh, complete silence is demanded by our farmer. I like that text. Thank you. Although I don't know what it says about the rest of our offering, but... I do know what you mean. Uh, Lisa from Gormandale says, Hi, was about the Bureau of Meteorology. In weather emergencies or bushfires, the first thing to go is power. So checking internet or apps is not possible. Also, rural internet is often dodgy uh, normally. So battery-powered radio is our only option. Therefore, it's essential to have a professional informing us on what could be a life or death situation, says Lisa from Gormandale. Keep those texts coming, 0467 842 722. If you want to send us a text 
to the program today. You're listening to The Country Hour. It is 17 to 1. Let's move away from issues of weather, well, slightly right now, and talk about some very different crops. On sloping land in the hills of Victoria's Kiwa Valley, a new cropping farm is being established for produce in high demand. What they're growing is pretty unique, although it's been here for thousands upon thousands of years. Gap Flat Track specialises in edible natives, things like bush mints, lemon myrtle, lily pillies and myrnong. However, the site is also part of a research project looking at drought-resilient crop farming, as Annie Brown reports. It's morning tea time and steeping in the kettle is fresh bush mint tea and homemade cake is being passed around. There's some lemon myrtle cake that'll go really well with that, so help yourself. These indigenous flavours could one day be more common as researchers look at ways of farming that will be more drought resilient in the future. The research wants to demonstrate the value of stepping away from growing only canola and wheat and diversifying. Crop researcher based at Melbourne University's Dookie campus, Dr Doran Gupta, says growing more native grass and vegetation will help. Primarily when we look for broadacre cropping, uh, we are um, trying to promote and uh, we're trying to address the challenge when we have uh, on-farm only two major crops growing, such as wheat and canola. We don't have any other vegetation on those farms. So to enhance their um, resilience over years, um, having more diversity on farms, we are encouraging having native grasses. Whereas when we think of what we have here at Gay's Farm, we do have native crops. That is something to consider from a bigger perspective, that we want to have more diversified options in our diet, on our plate, and that will come when we will think of including these native crops, they are not going to replace the broadacre crops, which are our staples. But having uh, those options in market, when we produce them, when we sell them, coming to our plates, uh, that is something um, we are really keen to make it happen. And uh, the part of project which is uh, w- through which we are working at Gaze Farm is addressing that bigger bigger challenge. And also we we have uh, really forgotten some of the grains such as kangaroo grass. So on Gaze Farm we have on um, slopey piece of land kangaroo grass not, not just to prevent the soil erosion but also to consider um, this particular crop as a future grain crop where you might find in coming years on shells um, a bread which is made with kangaroo grass grain. In the hills of the Kiwa Valley in northeast Victoria indigenous farmer Gay Baker has been busy turning slopey land into cropping country. I'm establishing my business, which is Gap Flat Track, uh, Edible Natives. Where I'm located right here is up on the side of the mountain, so it's quite steep. Uh, realistically, not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> and it's land that your average farmer down through the middle of the valley who has nice flat land, river flats, etc., they don't really consider that this land up here is viable. The work that I've done here is to put in a road and to terrace the area so that we could make flat areas so that you can actually work on flat areas. It's just that they're small flat areas on the side of the hill. The farm grows a range of Indigenous crops. So we have Tasmanian mountain pepper, three different sorts of lily pillies, three different sorts of finger limes, lemon myrtle, and then we have 
Murnong native parsley, native celery. Two, at the moment, only two different mints. The main one that I started with was Murnong. Tell me a bit about the story of Murnong. It used to be grown a lot here in this area, didn't it? Yes. Murnong was a staple crop for Indigenous peoples in a lot of Eastern Australia areas. And it was uh, eaten out, basically, by your sheep and cattle and so forth. So Murnong, in my opinion, was always a cultivated vegetable. And so what has survived has now reverted back to its wild stock. So we now are in the process of seed selection. And as part of that also, too, we will be looking for shapes of tubers, sizes of tubers, that sort of thing, that will be acceptable to go into commercial production. A native parsnip needs to look something like a parsnip. With a growing demand for native foods, Miss Baker hopes to show that it is profitable. There is a huge demand. There's a huge interest and there's a huge demand for native foods. The industry can't keep up with supply. That's the problem. We can't meet supply. I'd really like to see a connection between lots of small growers to coming together so that we've got a big enough supply You know, if you've got a number of people all doing that, then that makes much bigger numbers. It makes the whole industry much stronger. There's so many things in that list that I would like to eat that I don't think I've ever tasted before. That's Gay Baker from Gap Flat Track speaking to Annie Brown and ending that report. You're listening to the Country Hour Warwick Long with you today. And, well, let's talk about something that's happening quite a bit on properties in regional Victoria, in fact, all up and down the East Coast this season, getting bogged hour after hour, day after day. It's been the story of harvest so far this season. And for a lot of farmers, one way of making light about the situation and spreading the load is by sharing pictures of their mishaps with their mates or via social media. That's been the case for the Bennetts who farm at Lawloit in the West Wimmera. And Angus Verley spoke with John Bennett about what he's been up to. We were all panicking a little bit about getting the windrower bogged and the upcoming harvest and um, how we were going to face up to that, knowing that it would be logistically difficult because it's been so wet. So uh, in her wisdom, my wife actually decided to start a WhatsApp group with all of us called Bogged, where we had to post a photo every time we got stuck. So it did actually uh, lighten the mood around the whole um, around the whole activity, I have to say. It, uh, it got a bit of banter going and... Um, it actually made things better. Okay, so sort of injecting a bit of humour into what's otherwise a, a, a really a grim sort of situation. Well, it is. And I reckon um, it's all about recalibrating, isn't it? We sort of knew that it was going to be difficult and it's just sort of about recalibrating. And once you're comfortable with that, it's a lot easier to sort of take the task on. And um, especially for us in the south down here, because this is, you know, this is traditionally what we'd consider to be northern type weather like that summer rainfall and late spring rainfall we're getting it this year and so we're you know we're absolutely in the same boat so it's a bit new for us i think we've only had a head of bog once or twice before in my farming career so definitely not common but this year is going to be um it's going to be interesting and actually ag as an industry has responded to a birchard cropping group put on a, a field day over at warwick nabil maybe three or four weeks ago you know the 550 people attended on how to drag a header out of a bog. So we're sort of adapting, I think, and that's probably 
once you've got your head around it, it makes it um, make doesn't make the problem so onerous, really. And I guess what what you've been doing with your WhatsApp group has has really been replicated on a wider basis on various social media platforms with people pretty happy to just uh, put up a picture of the of the situation that they've got themselves into. Absolutely, like a problem halved is a problem shared, and, and that was one of the other things too. So it makes you realise you're you know you're not the only person in that you know in that particular boat. I think that makes it a lot easier to bear two angers. Uh, in terms of, of your WhatsApp group and who's got bogged the most, you said you're winning so comprehensively that it was suggested there should be a, a handicapping system. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure that there's going to be a prize at the end, but uh, probably a wooden spoon. Uh, but, yes, yes, I think my record was 10, 10 times in a day. and uh, That's a so lot. That was, uh, yeah, it actually is a lot. It is a lot, it, it, and it really slows the productivity down and... What it's actually done is because we had that rain in the critical time when we were wind growing, um, it's made the job difficult, but it also meant that we've left a lot of canola. I think we've probably left about two-thirds of our canola standing, and I'm seeing that replicated across a lot of places in the Wimmera, really. There's a lot of... I don't think I've ever seen more standing canola, so social media's been good for that too because I, I put a thing on there about, you know, what do we do with some of these difficult paddocks? Do we try and, do we try and wind grow them or do we... Um, or do we direct head them? And and the feedback was pretty much 50-50 uh, in each camp, which lets you know, once again, that everybody's in the same boat and how they're thinking about these things. So there's quite a lot of indecision around it. And that was really useful too. And then once we got our head around the fact that we were going to have to direct head, which is something I haven't really liked doing in the past. We've done it. I find it slow and difficult. People were actually swapping ideas on, on Twitter, especially about how to set up header fronts, uh, to be able to successfully direct head canola. And so that's been really good too. A lot of support there. John, just back on, on getting bogged, I suppose it's to this point probably mostly been with the wind rower that maybe isn't that hard to get unbogged. But how are you feeling about getting the header bogged and being set up to get it out of a bog if need be? Some of us attended that field day over at Warwick de Beale and that was enormously useful. So after that, we managed to find some kits that fit up underneath our cage headers that Trevor Postlewaite was making at, um, at Gourock. So we fitted all them up. So we, we're prepared to be able to pull our headers out of a bog and know how to do that. Uh, just before I let you go, John, as well on your social media, I see you put up a picture uh, of someone you came across in a paddock when you were wind rowing canola the other day. A koala, yes, a koala. So I'd been, um, I'd had uh, some wallabies and kangaroos sort of hiding in the crop and nearly going in the front of the wind rower. And a couple of days ago, I just looked out the side of my, the cabin and I saw this thing scurrying out in front of the wind rower and it was a koala, for heaven's sake. So um, I was very, very relieved that I didn't run that out because it would have actually been a disastrous day. <laughs> what a life. Bogged photos and seeing koalas. That's John Bennett who farms at Law Lloyd in the West Wimmera there. Market time. Let's get straight in it today with Packetham Cattle and Brendan Fletcher. G'day. Warwick numbers increased to a thousand. That's 190 more, with the usual buyers present, but not all operating fully in a cheaper market. Quality was limited in the grown and good in the larger selection of vealers. 
Trade cattle slipped from 50 to 85 cents on most sales. Bullocks lost 15 to 25. Manufacturing steers gave back 30 to 40. Cows sold from mostly firm to dearer in places, with processors loading cows for an estimated 571 to 697 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Heavy bulls eased 5 to 10 cents. Veal was sold from 358 to 470. Yearling trade steers 424 to 470. The heifer portion 380 to 444. Ground steers and bullocks 400 to 452, heavy Frisian steers 308 to 340, crossbreds 320 to 438, most light and medium weight cows 224 to 345, heavy weights 288 to 380, heavy bulls 334 to 378. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks Brendan, let's go to Wagga and Leanne Dax. Good afternoon. 3,084 cattle were offered to a bigger field of buyers. Quality remains mostly secondary with very few yearlings suitable for the trade. A large portion of the offering were young cattle to suit lot feeders. Lightweight weaners were in limited numbers. Lightweight steers back to the paddock 520 to 545. Feeder steers were back 15 to 20 cents. The lighter weights $4 to 547. Medium weights $4 to 492. Trade steers are off the post 20 cents. $4 to 443. Trade heifers dipped 30 cents, 356 to 410. Feeder heifers were 15 to 20 cents cheaper. The lighter weights to 458. Medium weights, 348 to 462. Heavy steers to the processors were firm, 320 to 454. Bullocks were firm to 4 easier, 380 to 408. Cows were down 10 cents, $3 to 342. And the medium weights, 246 to $3. I'm Leanne Dax, MLA. To Tim Delaney at Mortlake. Good afternoon. Cattle numbers lifted 474 at Mortlake as the usual buyers attended. Quality was mixed. Prices were unchanged at 10 cents easier for the good quality younger cattle with the plainer sales mostly 10 to 20 cents lower. Some places back further. Beef cows sold from firm to five cents dearer. The well-bred and better grown steers sold unchanged to 10 cents softer. Older steers, planted grown steers and the grown heifers were from 10 to 20 cents easier. Bull sold to firm. Fillers sold from 430 to 466 cents. Restockers paid 400 to 466 cents. Yearly steers made from 395 to 450 cents. Feeders paid from 385 also to 450 cents. The heifer yearling portion to the trade selling from, from 400 to 450 cents as restockers purchased good heifers from 405 to 427 cents. Heavyweight grown steers were from 340 to 422 cents as feeders and restockers paid from 390 to 460 cents. And beef bulls made from 320 to 340 cents. A kilogram. This has been Tim Delaney reporting for MLA Mortlake. Thanks very much for that, Tim. To the sheep and lambs, Chris Agnews at Hamilton. Thanks, Warwick. Agents yarded 11,285 new season's lambs at Hamilton, where the quality was from plain to good, but overall a better offering than last Monday. The market was stronger for trade lambs 18 to 26 kilos, being 10 to $20 dearer. Heavy lambs firm to five stronger in places, with lambs back to the paddock 20 to 30 dearer, and the top suckers making up to $238. New season's lambs 12 to 16 sold from 65 to 120 light lambs 18 to 22 131 to 172 they were averaging between 660 and 830 medium trade weights 22 to 26 they made between 147 and 211 and they averaged between 680 and 800 cents heavy lambs over 26 kilos making between 740 and 800 cents at Hamilton, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Thanks, Chris. Let's go to Bendigo and Jenny Kelly. Good 
Good afternoon. Numbers disappeared and so did quality for much of the yarding with just 9,000 lambs offered and a good percentage of these stores. The market remained fickle with not all processors operating. Heavy 26 to 30 kilo suckers, 215 to a top of 250. The 24 to 26 kilos, 194 to 206. The volume numbers were in the 22 to 24 kilo range at 155 to $190. The 20 to 22 kilos, 140 to 162. Still seeing a big range of 680 to about 800 cents a kilo. Store lambs with frame 120 to 146 to average 135. Very small stores 72 to 118 to average $102 to the paddock. Sheep numbers slumped after last week's price cuts. Light and trade sheep rebounded by 10 to $30 but not a lot of change for biggest crossbred used at 110 to 133 Jenny Kelly for MLA. We'll keep following what's happening at sheep markets over this week to see if it's like last week. Thank you for joining our program today. Thank you for all your feedback. I haven't gotten to all of your texts on the Bureau of Meteorology. We might try and get some in tomorrow if we have a response from the Bureau. We'll catch you then. It's coming up to one o'clock.